are you the the first? The first one. Visitor? I've always been visited. Nothing you have seen or heard about David Bowie will prepare you for the impact of his first dramatic performance in The Man Who Fell to Earth. This is another dimension of David Bowie, one of the few true originals of our time. You're really a freak. I don't mean that unkindly. I like freaks. Is this a weapon? A weapon? Well, it's too small for interplanetary travel. Assume that it's a weapon. If I stay here, I shall die. What do you mean? Take me with you. I'll see you don't die. I can't stay. You're an alien! I think you know... You know too much about me. Where are you taking me? He's just like everybody else. He's, he's, he's a fake. Please don't. You don't understand. You might be able to save him. Mary Lou. Save him? Help me. From what? No. No. Tell me I love you. fell to earth is a powerful love story, a cosmic mystery, a spectacular fantasy, a shocking, mind-stretching experience in sight, in space, and sex. Welcome to another episode of the Film and Water Podcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and joining me this week to talk about 1976's The Man Who Fell to Earth is internet writer, guy who does lots of other stuff, longtime listener, first-time caller, David A. Gutierrez. David, thank you for being on the show, man. Thank, thank you for having me, Rob. I'm very excited to be here for The Man Who Fell to Earth. Uh, yeah, it was, this was David's suggestion. He had asked me whether I was going to cover any Bowie-related movies on the show, and uh, I, I had another show in the hopper when this happened, but I did want to talk about it because I, even though you know I myself was not like that huge of a Bowie fan, uh, you certainly oh, have to... Calls over. Calls over. <laughs> uh, we certainly had to... Uh, <laughs> we certainly have to appreciate... Uh, the guy was a genius, and he certainly, uh, you know, be, be, walked to the beat of his own drum for for forty to fifty years, and uh, that uh, and created a lot of great stuff. I am assuming by your reaction, Dave, that you were a big fan. I, uh, my name is David, and uh, you no, know, no, I, um, <laughs> no, I, I, I love to, I, and I say that in the present tense. I am a huge Bowie fan. I'm a huge fan of that era, the, the glam rock uh, 70s era. I mean, um, anyone who knows me knows that um, I bleed Queen. That that it gets no better than Queen for me. Right. So right. Uh, Bowie being kind of a, uh, I guess like a, a brother act to that or sister act in some cases. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Just uh, um, just a um, sort of, just, sort of just that that entire world and era is as you know as the 30s and 40s a film is to you. Um, mm-hmm. 60s, 70s music is to me. Ah, okay. All right. 
So is Under Pressure then? Like, is it, I hate to say uh, it's kind of obvious. Is that like the best song ever? Because it's got everybody. It's hard. I mean, up. yeah, that, there are a few perfect. I mean, David Bowie. Okay, now we're going into a whole other thing. But uh, there are a few perfect songs to me. And uh, that is one of them. It, it's, I mean, it, it's completely nonsense. If you ever research the production of that, it's all, it's a very haphazard mess and everybody, and it's really during um, a good time of Coke for some of the musicians. <laughs> and, um, and it, it's very, it's very influenced by, by their, their time in uh, German dance club. But um, it is, uh, yeah, no, it's perfect. And if you, if, and this has been making the rounds lately, there is a, um, just the vocal, Fred, Freddie Mercury and David Bowie's vocals have been extracted from the song. Right, right, right. And uh, and that's been making the rounds since since Bowie's passing. And uh, oh, it's just like that's when you knew. I mean, there's no auto tune. It's just it's like Star Wars. You know what I mean? There are no the, the special effects are barely there. <laughs> and, and you look at it, and it's and it's just real, and it's beautiful, and it's anyway. Yes, I'm a huge fan. All right. So uh... long story short. Right. So, well, well, this the man who fell to earth. For anyone who doesn't know, this was David Bowie's first film. He was in a documentary before this, and apparently, it was that appearance in a documentary that uh, director, director Nicholas Rogue uh, Rogue. I don't know how to pronounce that. I've heard Rogue. Rogue. Okay. Rogue. Let's go with Rogue. Nicholas Rogue saw and and figured that uh, that David Bowie was the right person to cast, despite the fact he had not acted before. Of course, casting David Bowie as an alien not a hard, you know, not a big leap to make. The, the plot of the movie, such as it is, is an alien uh, who on Earth is known, known as uh, Thomas Jerome Newton. He comes from his faraway planet because uh, that planet is di- has no water left. So he comes to Earth uh, with all of these uh, marvelous technologies that he's going to patent. And he's going to develop and turn them into these amazing things here on Earth, make a fortune by uh, introducing Earth to all of this technology, and then use that money to transport water back to his home planet. That is ostensibly. Let me ask you this. Were you thinking of Richard Branson when you were watching this again? (laughs) There were a lot of, like, I mean, we'll get into it in a moment about the whole thing with the plot. But anyway, uh, that that is his plan. But he then falls in love with a young woman named, played by Candy Clark from American Graffiti. And he ends up becoming sort of a victim of uh, his incipient humanity because as he stays longer and longer on Earth, he becomes more dissolute and he the whole mission starts sort of to fall apart. That's the plot technically. That's not really what this movie's about. Uh, I don't think there's any Nicholas Rogue movie that is about the plot. Um no, no. Uh, I mean, you could argue that, you know, this is a great example of the kind of movie that it really shows you. It really depends on how a director approaches the material, because you could make a very straightforward sci fi movie with this plot. But that's not what we get with <laughs> The Man Who Fell to Earth. Uh, it also features Rip Torn, uh, a lot of Rip Torn, a lot of Rip Torn, if you if you want to well okay uh it also features uh buck henry as uh, newton's lawyer it features buck henry's glasses is a whole separate uh, thing going on there uh, there's a lot of glasses shots yeah in the yeah, whole, yeah. eyes eyes play a huge part of this movie they do and uh, bernie casey is, a, is another actor and it features some other actors but those are our basic uh, basically our players buck henry is uh david bowie's patent attorney he's the one that that bowie comes and says here are all these things i've created and and uh, Buck Henry says, you know, you're going to be rich a thousand times over with these patents because he invents uh, 
that what what are, what are some of his inventions? There's like a a thing to play music, right? That's like a giant egg or something. Right. It, yeah. You you drop the ball into the music player, and uh, it plays music. I don't know how you select a track because it doesn't seem like there's anything <laughs> you can do. This. There's um a camera that I guess sort of it's it's a cross oh, the self developing film camera. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 Um, and then he he's on he he manufactures televisions because that's kind of a there's um there's a story point involving the TV and the remote and right. uh, David Bowie trying to I'm sorry David Newton trying to um trying to decipher what's happening. Yeah, it, over the course of the movie, Newton becomes an alcoholic and becomes obsessed with television. And there's numerous scenes of him watching like nine or nine or ten TVs all at one time with the idea that he'll learn about humanity. Through television, and there's even a line later on in the film where he realizes that uh, you don't learn anything about humanity by watching television, and that's sort of a shocking thing to him. And it's this, you know, the 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 story is a bit of a. a tra- I'm not going to give away the ending for anybody who hasn't seen it, but it's a bit of a tragedy, and <laughs> that what sort of happens to, to Newton. But but uh, David, what is your like? Where do you come in as a Bowie fan? Where did you first see this movie? I think it it um, well, you have to. This was a period of time when um, he was a coke addict. So uh, <laughs> when you look at it, no, I'm serious. I mean, no, um, I know. I'm sure you're serious. <laughs> uh, but because um, he had just done Young Americans, I think, uh, right before this, and then Station to Station and Low were the two albums that followed that, and those were supposed to be the soundtracks of this album, which has no Bowie music. A little disappointing going into that, but um, it's. I mean, it's he's so alien anyway. It it just makes sense. You yep. know what I mean? Yep. And he doesn't really. I'm not sure if he's acting, <laughs> or if, he's <laughs> a, if they just kind of woke him up and yelled and yelled action because <laughs> he's kind of not there a lot. Of, does that make sense? His presence is almost um, he's the focus of the movie, but he's not in it a lot. Actually, for like the first what twenty twenty five minutes, there's hardly any David Bowie at all, and. Um, and eventually he becomes, you know, he's in almost every scene after that. But uh, it's it's just a it's a weird kind of must see if you're a fan, but you don't have to uh, ever see it again. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, I, I it's not an easy. I don't think it's an easy movie to watch. I will admit, the first time I saw it, uh, it was back in. I disagree, but huh? I disagree. I think it's super easy to watch because you don't have to pay attention to it. Uh, well, uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I, the first time I saw it, it was when I worked at a video store, and I was sort of sending myself to quasi-film school. And I was like, oh, I've heard of this movie, and this is fame, and let me go watch it. And I, I could not make heads or tails of it. I just found it, like, nearly impenetrable. And I watched a couple other Nicholas Roeg movies, and I found them the same way. I, I watched uh, Insignificance. And I think even don't look now. And I just was like, oh, oh yeah, I, I was yeah, just like yeah. what is this, this, this guy? Is and it wasn't until I saw uh, Walkabout uh, in the in the theaters oh. that they had re-released okay. Walkabout, and somehow Walkabout I was able to, to to get. I was like, oh okay, I get the vibe that this guy's going for. So ever since then, I have found his other movies a little easier. And and so when I watched it, uh, The Man Who Fell to Earth again in, in preparation for the show. I, I found it a lot easier sort of to just get into the vibe of it. But the film does right. – it, it, it. I don't want to say it tests your patience, but it definitely goes down roads. I mean like Bernie Casey plays this ancillary character 
who really doesn't figure into the story much at all because then there's this whole thing about the government is watching the alien. They know they, they sort of know they're hip to him from the beginning. And like Bernie Casey I said is this side character who gets a whole sex scene by himself and like we, we <laughs> Everyone find, has one though. Yeah, I mean yeah, I mean for anybody who doesn't if you don't like male or female nudity in your movie, don't watch this movie because you see David Bowie's penis, you see Rip Torn's penis, you see Bernie Casey's penis, and you see a whole lot of Candy Clark. So Buck Henry is the only one we are spared uh, from any nudity. Right. This 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 is a hard R movie. Uh, Nicholas Rogue, I guess, was just like, let's just put the pedal to the metal here, and, uh, and you know, um, it, it, like I said, it's it's it meanders. It it doesn't. Yeah. It it does not. It gives you bits and pieces of plot, but but I agree with your your assessment about David Bowie. He does seem he fits in. I I, I think he fits in with this film quite well. I don't know if you could say it was a great performance, although he's been right. I've seen him I've seen him in other movies and he's funny. He was good, so I think Bowie was certainly capable of it. Um, I think Roeg was able to find the essential Bowiness of him and use it to his effect. Uh, to well, to good effect, as opposed to some other actors. Like, I mean, my my guy is Bob Dylan, but Bob Dylan cannot be in movies. <laughs> he cannot be in movies because he's a block of wood, and, and directors have not been able to sort of figure that out for the most part. But I think Bowie is is you know magnetic as all get out in this movie. No, he is. Um, but uh, actually, it's to your point about the, just the overall nudity and the sex. It's it's there's that very great scene where um, Bowie and um, I'm sorry, but I keep saying Newton and Mary Lou are having sex, and then it's intercut with that weird Kabuki show, right? Right. And right. it has and it, and it has this very it's it's almost it's there's an implied violence, but there shouldn't be, but because I mean, you, I guess you kind of wonder how does this alien do it, and he does it, and he does it often. But, but uh, oh, I'm sorry, it's not. It's, oh, it's, it's Rip, Rip Torn. Yeah, it's Rip Torn, it's, it's Rip and Torn. one of his Rip Torn is a right. is a, is a professor right. that's having a lot of sex with his right. with his female students. Yeah. Oh my my dream lady, the one with the glasses. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Rip Torn as a as a professor is, is is fantastic. He actually reminded me. I went to the University of Texas at Austin, and uh, there was a an English professor that was Rip Torn. Um, it was easier to have find out who he didn't sleep with than who he did. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he wore uh, pirate shirts. I don't know how he did it. <laughs> but uh, wow. but there, was, there, was the, there was the same kind of attitude. Yeah, Rick Thorne is... I loved that. I thought he was fantastic as a, as just this weird kind of cynic jerk genius professor that really doesn't... He drives the movie, actually, when you think about it. And then he... Um, well, you don't want to give away the ending, but what happens with him is just... It's incredibly interesting, but it makes perfect sense, but you wouldn't predict it. Yeah, I mean, in terms of him driving the plot, he's the one, he goes to work for Newton, and he's the one who discovers that Newton right. is an alien. Uh, right. and, and that starts a whole thing about, because no one else, because, I mean, Bowie looks just kind of like Bowie in this movie, and then you get to see <laughs> him. I mean, he's, he's strange looking, but he's humanoid, and then you get to see right. him... Uh, you do get to see him as he looks on his home planet, and it is very, uh, d- you know, unusual. And when Candy Clark learns that, 
uh, that's she gets very upset. In fact, she she wets her wets her pants in a yeah. big giant close up of that, which I could have lived without. Um, <laughs> although she's she's nice enough to try and sleep with them even after that, which is it's just she's horrified. But then she goes back and tries to sleep with them again, which doesn't quite work. Uh, <laughs> so she's a weird one. Yeah, it's a it's a yeah, it's a very very odd. <laughs> it's just a very very strange movie. Uh, and I said I got to give David Bowie credit for. For doing it, I mean, I know that you know. I, I, I'm again. I'm certainly not an, an expert at all in the man's career. He didn't ever seem to really play it safe, and being in a movie like this just seems of a piece with that. I mean, he probably no, could have, yeah. you know, he probably could have really tried to, you know. I'm sure Hollywood would have loved to soften his, uh, you know, weirdness a bit, but no. Instead, he's going to be in this very strange movie, uh, a very very indie kind of. You know, it's certainly not. It's certainly not a commercial film by by any stretch of the imagination. Right, but I do want to stress that uh, he, from what I can, t- I never met the man, but from what I could tell, he didn't really make any. Um, everything he did was very well thought out and calculated. So I don't know what he, except for maybe this movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, because you know, by admission, he was completely coked out of his mind, but. Um, and he doesn't even remember. I think it's station to station or low. He doesn't even remember making the album. Wow. And uh, um, but uh, and the thing, from what I understand, the thing about cocaine is it. And well, yeah, as you know, Rob, um, it uh, <laughs> it messes with 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 your hearing to the point um, where so during some of the pr- production of um, when he was working with Iggy Pop, everything was just turned up way high, and so the so all the equalizers were were just shot to the top, and so everything just has this weird hum popped out sound and there isn't any distinction between anything. So, um, because he, cause you can't, you can make that distinction. So just, I guess a little, so yeah. So like I was saying, he just, everything he did was very intentional and I don't, and I, and I can't help but wonder if his, his performance was to some extent, just if he just kind of, you know, he is very much an alien. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he, he, when he first appears and he shows up at the, uh, the sort of pawn shop, uh, you know, I mean, he just, he does not look like he belongs there at all. I mean, he's just a completely, oh, no. you know, cause he, and he's, he's got those rings and stuff and he wants to sell some rings and make some money. And, and, uh, in his early scenes with Buck Henry, even Buck Henry seems to, they, they don't look like they're the same species, Buck Henry and David Bowie. No. I mean, <laughs> I loved him. I loved Buck Henry in this. I love Buck Henry. Yeah, I mean, when Buck Henry shows up in movies, I just I, I wish he would do more things. When he shows up on Thirty Rock as when he did as Liz Lemon's dad, uh, he actually did another movie with David Bowie uh, called The Linguini Incident, which the I have, uh, incident, I have not I have never yeah. seen. But uh, I, I love the fact mm-hmm. that they did another movie together because I just I, Buck Henry's just a riot. This is a good indication of kind of the weirdness of the pacing of the movie. We can, I, one thing I want to talk to you about is the way that time is, is sort of portrayed in the movie. But um, when uh, Buck Henry is telling his, I guess his husband, it's probably not officially his husband back then, but his his, his boyfriend or his partner, the um, the the uh, oh the advice that his father gives him about looking at gifts worse in the mouth. Right. You remember that? And it's and it's really just oh, it's really a joke. And the way it's cut and shot, it's almost like a laughing thing. Mm-hmm. Because they just wait for the punchline, and then there's a zoom, and it's like do 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 do, and they're back <laughs> to the next scene. <laughs> it's just so it it it's so of its time, and yet it's such a variety show thing. It felt like um, 
Like Norman Fell needed to be looking at the camera at some point. It was, <laughs> it was very, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it was so um, out of place, but yet perfect in this movie. And the way time elapses in this is is very strange. There's nothing to really indicate time except for makeup. Um, right, because all the other characters well, age through the movie, and and Newton, yeah. Newton does not. He stays the same while everyone else gets older and older. Right, right, and and uh, obviously, and obviously, uh, Mary Lou doesn't get old. I mean, she probably retains her shape better than anyone because she's nude up until her sixties, I guess. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's very strange in that you don't really know when something's happening until somebody else shows up and somebody that, you know, because once, um, once, uh, Newton's captured and he's, and he's examined and poked and prodded, um, there's really no sense of how long he's being been held for until somebody shows up that you've met previously. And, right. Right. And then like with, um, with, with Ben Casey's character, yeah, all of a sudden he's just got these gray walls and uh, the physique of a god still, <laughs> but he's still. But all of a sudden, yeah, he's he's in his fifties and he's got and he's married and he has kids and he lives in this palatial estate, and it's just like, oh, okay, so you made great in what twenty years, however <laughs> long this took. Yeah, very strange. Very yeah, strange. yeah. I mean, a part of the other thing that, that does happen in this movie is that uh, he is. The the government basically nabs Newton and puts him in a some sort of like it's not a prison cell it, it looks like a hotel room kind of uh, and that almost yeah yeah and keeps him there for as 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 David just said a sort of an undetermined period of time and then they just let him go they just you know at some point he just he's just free to go and then we get to see that everyone has aged and there's a scene near the end of the movie where. Uh, again, this is sort of Nicholas Rogue just playing with people where uh, Rip Torn's character playing Nathan Bryce, he goes to a record store because at this point Newton has recorded uh, – he's failed in his – I guess I'm kind of giving it away a little bit. What the hell? Um, Newton has essentially failed in his mission to to, to bring water to his – because he never actually gets – he never blasts off Earth. And he records a message uh, that he hopes – his wife back on his home planet will hear, and he does it in the form of a vinyl album. And Bryce goes to listen to the vinyl album, and in he goes into a record store, and it's a real record store, and you see a David Bowie album for sale in, right, the, right. in, the, in the record store. <laughs> so. Little meta. Yeah, I mean, uh, um, I, I was happy that I spotted a Dylan album in the racks. I was like, oh, there's New Morning. I was like, okay, <laughs> it's a real record store. No, I thought it was. You know, what was weird about that is part of part of um, the government's fear about it is, is I guess, um, the fact that one man controls technological destiny for a while, right? So they have to cut him off at the knees, and um, so uh, Bowie's company had. De- or, I'm sorry, Bowie's. I keep saying that Newton's company had Newton, developed yeah, yeah. A, a, that record player we were talking about, which is very alien looking. It it looks almost like a humidifier that you stick a ball on. And then, uh, and then when in later, much later in the movie, Ripper goes to a record store, you're back to a familiar form of technology, which you would think would have kind of been skipped over. Right. You would think post the Newton's technology, we wouldn't have vinyl records anymore. Yeah. Right. But then we're back there. So everything is, is very much, all his work is just completely undone. And, mm. uh, I, I thought that, well, maybe I'm overthinking it, <laughs> but, but it, it did feel like that. 
And and uh, I didn't notice this until the second time I saw it when, when I saw it for, for review. Um, do you remember that Mary Lou had that giant cross when you meet her? Uh, yeah, I think so. Because she, t- she takes she takes Newton to church, and she's very she's right, very right. religious. You get that sense. Later in the movie, in the movie, she has a star, so she completely even moves from um, some, whatever form of Christianity she was to um, sort of worshiping Newton. Huh. Which I thought was very interesting. You just and it's it's really subtle. Um, you you don't really catch it until she's on top. It it's uh, when she I think it's when she sees um, Newton's true form that I noticed it. Interesting. And, uh, oh yeah, I didn't notice yeah. that at all. Okay. Yeah, she's not the strongest of female characters. I'll say that. She's it's it's weird because she's she's um almost cowsing him a lot, but she's got her own agenda. It's a very it's sort of I don't know. She's, I think she's probably the most interesting of everyone in that in that movie. I, it, I, I, sure, I admired her willingness as an actress to really go for it because she's asked to do a lot in this movie. Uh, she is, as I mentioned, she's, <laughs> she, I, really, I mean, she's repeatedly naked uh, throughout the movie, and you know, and not in a. I mean, it's it's sexualized to a certain extent, but in a right. lot of ways, it's not. I mean, a lot of the, the a lot of the sex scenes are sort of sloppy and weird and you know she gets she, she yeah and she really put through the emotional ringer there's a scene where where newton and mary lou are having sex with each other while also firing blanks at one oh, another God, that was which so is weird. Yeah. really <laughs> upsetting because you just you, you start to worry for the actors you know you're just like they're, oh. they're really firing bl- they're, they're firing these blanks at one another at point blank range and it's right it's, it's, you're just like, <laughs> like when you were when you were watching that scene, did you think, "My God, David Bowie should have been the Joker"? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I, I remember hearing about that years ago that David Bowie that oh, they, really? maybe flirted with that, but I think oh. I think you could not have put David Bowie in a Batman movie and had it for children. You just that just, just would not have worked. <laughs> I mean, like it would have been just too deeply upsetting because he would have been so strange and weird and everything else. But yeah, I, I, it's uh, it would have been amazing. But yeah, it's it's. It's uh it, it's it's the, the there's a lot of it's funny too that you in, in terms of the the violence like there's a scene where again I'm kind of spoiling things where the government kills oh yeah Buck Henry Buck Henry's character Farnsworth uh, yeah. and and his gay lover and they kill Buck Henry in the most comedic they throw him through a window that's right that's right but the first time they throw him the glass doesn't break. And they like yeah. pick him up again, and he just sort of puts up with it, and they swing him back to forth, back and forth like a kid almost, and it's very comical. And you're just well, like, right. what is this movie? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's sort of, it's sort of, un, it's sort of underlined by the fact that you see it, what is very clearly a dummy. <laughs> yeah, fall down yeah, from, yeah. From high, from on high. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That I was. That's you know, that's the thing that got me more than anything is when, um, is when uh, Farnsworth was was murdered. Because I really just grew to like that guy. Yeah, I don't know why either. He was maybe because he's just so innocent. I mean, he's the most innocent of everyone. You know, he doesn't really. He's just kind of showing up to work. He's presented with these ideas, and uh, he goes from just I do the patent attorney to um, kind of like a CEO almost, mm-hmm. without any sense of what's happening. He's a bit like, um, yeah, he just he just executes. Um, um, Newton's orders, and he, they, they don't make sense to him. He never questions yeah. them. Yeah, he's the only one that kind of doesn't take anything from Newton, really. 
yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, Mary Lou introduces him to a lot, but she she loves him, but she also introduces him to liquor, which becomes a real problem. Uh, but but Buck Henry's character just sort of does what Newton asks him to do, and they seem to have a sort of equal relationship. And I think there's something about the inherent sort of niceness of Buck Henry. I just yeah. think that that's you just tend to like him on screen. I know he's capable of probably playing bad people, but he just seems sort of kind and and sweet. And I, I think that's part of the reason he was sort of such a, a regular on the original Saturday Night Live. He just has that kind of warmth to him that. Uh, that that you just like, and uh, they give him these. <laughs> I mentioned Rogue gives him these glasses. <laughs> these, oh, yeah. these these lenses must be uh, six inches thick, and there's lots of close-ups of him with these giant eyes. But he looks like Maz Kanata. Uh, <laughs> just, it's just ridiculous, and that he Rogue gets a lot of mileage out of the the comedy of of Buck Henry's glasses in this movie, and 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 Newton never comments on it, and he just I guess as an alien he just takes it as well. This is what this particular guy looks like, uh, but it's like I said, the, tonally this movie is all over the place. But like I said I get the sense that that's exactly what Rogue wanted. I don't get the sense this was. I I don't get the. Watching this movie, I don't get the idea that this movie is anything less than the exact movie Nicholas Rogue wanted to make. Did the sense that you really don't know where uh, Newton, how Newton got to that point, bother you or intrigue you at all? Where um, he's, I mean, he's got this probably, obviously, a fake London pa- or English passport and uh, rings, and he's got the clothes, and he knows he speaks English. But do you know what I mean? Were you at all curious as to? What happened once he landed and start and sort of became this person? No, not or really. I, I just sort of accepted it. I don't know. I just felt, yeah. I, you know, I think I said the first time I saw this movie, I was just filled with what? What is all this? And now I've, I, I, I like to think I'm more sort of open minded and just not open minded, but just accepting of okay. Clearly, there are lots of questions that Nicholas Rogue is, has no interest in. Uh, the right. movie, he's just not interested. It's not. It's not that he's overlooking them or it's a mistake. It's just he just doesn't care. That's not what he's trying to achieve. And so I just sort of went with it. And even with all the movie's weird digressions and everything else, I just sort of went, okay. Because, I mean, you know, we talk about early that, that, that Rip Torn is this college professor that beds down his students. They are, there is like, there's like five or six sex scenes, way more than you need. To make your well, point. that's arguable. Well, <laughs> I know you love the girl with the glasses, but I mean, it's just I, you know, after like the fifth girl that that Rip Torn beds down, you're like, okay, I get it, you know. And I just feel like this is what Nicholas Rogue just wanted to film that day, and that's what's in your movie. I mean, it's a, I mean, the movie is 139 minutes or something. It's not. Yeah, it, it is long. It, it's not that uh, Rogue had to cut the thing down. For time and it doesn't make sense. It's not incoherent. It's not like Heaven's Gate or something where it's incoherent in its cut form. It's you know that this is what Rogue One did. Even though supposedly that when they first really showed the movie to the studio, the studio was like, "This is not the movie we paid to <laughs> paid to get made." Oh right, right. And they yeah. apparently did cut it all down for release, and it was just butchered, and it made no sense. And it was o- it was only later that Rogue's version got restored, and now it's a Criterion film, and the, the film is the version that he wants everybody to see. Wouldn't you love to see that cut? I would like to see that cut. That would be fun to, to look at this movie where someone edited by someone who's trying to make a coherent sci-fi drama out of it. That would be amazing to see. No, my, I think my favorite part is when... Um, uh, <clears throat> um, when uh, I keep saying Bowie. Uh, when Newton and... Um, 
and Bryce are uh, standing, I guess, what is it? It's like that ramshackle home. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, this is this is when um, when uh, Bryce has already figured everything out about uh, Newton's past, and he asks Newton where he's from, and Newton just says, "I I really don't, I I don't really have a sense of geography, but from over there somewhere." Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That's got to be my favorite bit in whole. <laughs> Yeah, it's I did, there's something else too. We we haven't mentioned to this point, and I don't forget is that you mentioned the idea of time uh, is sort of uh, weirdly. I mean, uh, we get the sense that Newton uh, sees time differently. Uh, obviously, right. he obviously experiences time because he doesn't age the way the rest of the characters do. But he also sees time differently. There's a scene of him in a limo. Oh, right. With yeah. with Mary Lou, where he seems to. He's looking out into a, a field of like tumbleweeds or something, or not tumbleweeds, but he's looking into a grassy field, and he sees what appears to be like uh, pioneer people. Uh, and they see him. Do we? I think so, because aren't they pointing at him? Oh, okay, that's right, that's right, that's right. They do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do see him. I forgot about that. But he, yeah. So, and you don't get the sense that this is a that that like this is in his imagination. That he's literally seeing these people. Uh, as they existed in this spot a hundred years earlier, or 150 years earlier, and the movie again doesn't explain it. It just, it just all of a sudden you're a bunch of people in costumes, and they're they're churning butter and whatever, and you're like, what, huh? Even though he's driving by in a limo, so clearly uh, Newton's whole sense of time is completely unmoored from what the rest of us are dealing with. Did you like the alien landscape and the weird sort of alien train? Kent thing. I I did like it. I I did think you know it it looked a little silly to me, but I think again I think Nicholas Rogue probably wasn't terribly interested in coming up with anything. You know, it would have been interesting to see like a quote unquote real sci fi director what he would have done with it. Like if you'd given this to you know I don't know one of the Planet of the Apes directors or something like what they yeah. would have done. But I mean, it's meant to just feel alien and otherworldly, and it does. I mean, it really does. They're in their little silver jumpsuits, and uh, Newton's wife kind of looks like him. I mean, they look very, they look like... Um, sea monkeys. They look like a family yeah, of Yeah, you're right. They do look, yeah, that's exactly right. They do look like sea monkeys, yeah. <laughs> but, but with a $5 paper mache transport system with, uh, with, with bed sheets. Yeah. And I guess but it works. He, but it works. Yeah, yeah, again, I think Rogue is just trying to, he's like, look, it doesn't matter that it looks cheesy, that's not what I'm, again, that's not what I'm trying to do. And and said he, apparently he he and Bowie got along quite well, uh, even though, as you mentioned, Bowie was like really coked out and stuff, uh, they seemed, yeah. to, seemed to get along. Candy Clark, in interviews, she gave a bunch of interviews last week after Bowie died, and, and there was one long-form piece that she talked about the making of this movie, and she was very complimentary, and she said that he was very... As an actor, he was like very giving and very present, even though like you said, I guess he was cooked up. But just you know, she <laughs> she thought he was very pleasant to deal with. He was not like a rock star coming in with any sort of ego. He was just there, you know. He was there to make his movie, uh, and uh, you know, it worked out quite well. Now, as a Bowie fan, like, uh, did you see his? Uh, have you, I guess you've seen his other movies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I was born through Zoolander. And then he, and then all of a sudden he's the judge of this uh, fashion walk-up, like like a like a, like a fashion show. Mm-hmm. I'm in immediately, and I like the prestige. Became ten, a hundred times better when when you're introduced to Mr. Nicholas Tesla as played by David Bowie. Mm-hmm. 
he just to me just his presence just elevates things. You know, it's just it's he he just really sets things apart like leagues beyond where they where they normally would be without it. But again, this is just because I'm such a fan. Right. Have you seen and, uh, like Absolute Beginners or Merry Christmas? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and the, the Hunger. Wonderful. Of wonderful. course, he's in The Hunger playing a vampire, which again. <laughs> Are you going to do that one? You should do that one. Uh, maybe. That was a big movie on cable when I was a kid for various reasons. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that and uh, Life Force, probably. For the Life season. Force. Yeah, another one, another big <laughs> one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Bowie, Bowie carved out quite an interesting little career for himself. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed him very much in The Prestige as well. He, I, I, I can't say whether he was a great actor or not, but he had an absolute presence on screen. Okay, all right. Yeah, he was fantastic. Twin Peaks, great in that. Okay, all right. I knew he was, I've never seen that, but I knew he was in it. Oh, oh. Have you seen Twin Peaks? I've seen uh, some of the show. I I, uh, I probably will not get into how I feel about David Lynch on the show because it'll probably just <laughs> anger some people. So. so you're not a fan, is what you're saying? Not a fan, no. What do you like more, David um, uh, David Lynch or Tim Burton? Uh, I like Tim Burton. I like some of Tim Burton. I I, I don't want to get into David Lynch. <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> oh, okay. You know, for for for... I guess maybe for for your listener who um for your <laughs> listeners who, who um who well might, it's been who, great having you on Dave I appreciate yeah, yeah. <laughs> no um also aren't we supposed to do Empire Strikes Back because I did you do that one <laughs> anyway no, no we, um <laughs> I'm kidding no for 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 those for those who are listening to this who who want kind of, who have seen the movie Excalibur that has a very similar sense of time or lack thereof, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that um, that this movie does. Things just kind of happen, and you have to really catch up to the events, as opposed to the events really being presented to you in any sort of uh, linear manner. Interesting. Just, yeah, 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 yeah. I, it just happened, and you have to say, oh, shit, we're 20, sorry, sorry. <laughs> oh, we're, <laughs> oh, darn, we're, we're, we're 20 years, 20 years have passed since we were last with this people everything is very much a it, the movie is a catch-up game a lot of times that's interesting uh you say that because it's it, uh, my again my my guy bob dylan made a movie called ronaldo and clara which is almost four hours long and plays with the sense of time and it is nearly impenetrable uh <laughs> i'm a dylan fan even i'm like oh all right this is <laughs> tough to get through so you know they were they were sort of uh, you know, they were the, the Ronaldo and Clara and the man who fell to earth are, are not dissimilar. If anything, man who oh, fell okay. to man who fell to earth uh, looks like a Michael Bay movie in terms of its uh, audience. <laughs> it, it, it's it's desire to please an audience compared to Ronaldo and Clara. But again, we will save that for another episode. Um, before we sign off, uh, do you have anything else you want to say about the man who fell to earth or about David Bowie? Oh, so much to say about Bowie. God, um, I would just say if. If you like music, I don't care what you're, if you're a country fan, if you like um, electronica, if you like anything, David Bowie's done it, and he's done it wonderfully. People make fun of Tin Machine. Did you know Soupy Sells' son was in that band with him? I remember Tin Machine. Yeah. People make fun of that. It was ahead of its time. It was kind of a sidestep for Bowie. Um, and this is just, if you look at David Bowie, you're looking at, just you, you're looking at evolution because you see somebody who starts off. You look at like Hunky Dory versus uh, Heroes, um, 
Oh God, the last album, Black Star, is just, is just anyway. I can't. I can't even really. I'm still processing the death, to be honest with you, Rob. So I can't. I understand. I understand. Um, but uh, yeah, it sounds hokey. I guess right. I've never met the guy, but I. Um, oh God. Okay, here it comes. <laughs> I don't think it's uh, no. I don't think it's hokey at you. all. No, it's not hokey. It's not hokey at all. It's it's. I you, like I said, I was not. I'm not the hugest fan. But when when he passed yeah. away, I was I was stunned and and heartened by the outpouring of love for this guy. And I think yeah. that came from people. I I I think it came from people. Uh, obviously, a lot of them were fans. But it also, yeah. I think it also came from people that just recognized someone who was an odd kid and yeah. and did what he had to do and did it well and again marched to the beat of his own drum and i think a lot of people don't get to do that in life they don't get to do the they don't get to be the weirdos that they want to be because of you know whatever reason you know their life gets in the way responsibilities and david bowie did it and did it for 40 odd years and followed his muse uh, to wherever it led him, and I, people admire that. And even if the muse takes you in directions you don't necessarily, you know, maybe as a Bowie fan you want him to go, you respect it. You respect that, that that he did it. And I think that's why I think people. He's one of those guys. Who just it was almost like not dissimilar from Alan Rickman, who died just a couple of days later. It was this somebody who was like, you know what? I like. I may not love what he's always doing, but he always seems to be giving his all. And I, I, you know, I think people admired that, and I think that's why there was this overwhelming love when when Bowie died. I think it just had, and plus it was so unexpected as well. I think that was yeah. part of it. But you know, it, I think it just had that feeling to it of like this seems like a really admirable guy, and he lived an amazing life, and worthy of you know a few moments of tribute, even if they came from people who weren't necessarily huge fans. Here's a friend of mine put it like this, and I think this is probably the best thing anyone could say. Um, if you think like the biggest NFL guys are tough, or I don't know, your hero's Batman, just think about David Bowie in 1970 or 1968, wearing a dress and lipstick and walking down the streets of London. This tiny, skinny little guy, and you tell me who's tough. Yeah, uh, yeah, seriously. That that had to be a that had to be a yeah and I think I saw something similar where somebody wrote that you know there's a kid who grew up looking at David Bowie and you know embracing his own weirdness and it's like you're one up on him because you get to admire David Bowie David Bowie yeah. didn't have that example he just had to go that out kid, and be David Bowie that kid Shag Matthews. <laughs> Well, that's yeah. a good place to end it here. Uh, <laughs> is, uh, oh, well, listen, congratulations on, uh, before we go, congratulations on launching the network. I'm oh. looking forward to hearing um, Kelly on Kelly and uh, <laughs> the other shows. Well, I think what, you're starting with Grace Kelly, right? And then since you're launching in February for Black History Month, it's Jim Kelly. <laughs> and then um, the Forest Kelly. And then what do you, I, I don't know what you're going to do after that. I don't want to. That sounds like an awesome show. I have to say, <laughs> I thought you were joking, but now I'm like, that's an absolutely plausible show. I, I like it. Uh, I really <laughs> all like the, All the Kellys of the rainbow. There's Kelly's heroes. I could do that. Uh, there's yeah. a Ned Kelly. I could do all sorts of things. Yeah. I, 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 I got to jot this down. I think this is not a bad idea at all. So um, anyway, David, thank you so much for doing the show. Man. Oh, thank you we, for having me. I, we should just say, if you're a fan of David Bowen, you've never seen The Man Who Fell to Earth, 
give it a shot. It's a very uh, it's yeah. not for all tastes, but it's certainly a unique capsule uh, time capsule for the time it was made, and it is David Bowie probably at his best in terms of uh, for his acting career. Uh, it's certainly a worthy film, and it's you know I said it's part of the Criterion Collection, so it's 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 been you know its, it's greatness is acknowledged. So give it a try if you're uh, even if you're not a David Bowie fan, uh, I think you'll in, if you're if you can tune into its frequency, I think you'll enjoy it. Agreed. So again, David, thank you for doing the show, man. I I really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I enjoyed, thank you for having me on, man. Uh, do you want to plug anything, or people can find yeah, you on the internet? Uh, Go ahead. You can find a lot of my work on um, not a lot, but I, I do. I've been writing a lot for Emmys. dot com lately. So if you just uh, search my name, David uh, Gutierrez, G U T I E R R E Z, you can find some of my work there. I'm also done some pieces for Newsarama. Um, there's a book I illustrated called Modern Mom to Be, which has been out for a few months. So if you want to see some okay artwork from me. <laughs> And uh, it was it was my first go at a Cintiq, and um, and uh, yeah, you, I, I'm on Twitter at d m g u t i e r r e z. So yeah, and uh, again, thanks for having me, and and, and uh, thank you, Shag, for introducing me to Mr. Kelly. Yes, thank you. Yeah, thank you very much, Shag. I do appreciate that. Uh, as always, with us. Uh, you can find the show on Twitter, which is Film and Water Pod. There's also we now have the Twitter feed for the whole network, which is FW. They use the um, the hashtag, which is FW Podcasts, and the network, which will be up soon, is going to be at FireAndWaterPodcast.com. It's all very exciting. We're out of all these shows. It's going to be a lot of fun. And the email is FireWaterPodcast at Comcast.net. So again, David, thanks so much for for coming on the show, and thank you everybody for listening. And until next week, that's a wrap. She got a turned up.
come to us.